I think I was staring down a $380,000 tax bill. So instead, I went and bought a house and two more vehicles, and I got that tax bill down to 60 grand. My bookkeeper freaked out. She was like, it's against the law. You have to pay your taxes. It's right here in the rule book. We can't do that. I ended up getting a new bookkeeper and I still don't pay taxes to this day. There was a time where we went up like 160 bucks per hour. So everything went up 160 yeah. bucks. You went home hour. after work and you're like, huh, let's raise prices. You know, some people want to grow to 50 million. Some people want to grow to 100 million. Some people only want to go to five or six or seven or eight or nine or 10. Nothing wrong with any stage of it. But then at some point in time you go, Okay, now how do I depreciate money? What's up, man? Jared, how you going? <laughs> how you going? <laughs> how you going? I'm going pretty good. That's good. I've been going all day. But That's good, man. I'm glad, I'm glad to hear it. Where, where, are you, where are you going to? Um, nowhere right now. I'm just, Dang, I'm just hanging out doing podcasts. Yeah. How are you going? <laughs> I'm going pretty good. I'm also not going anywhere. Wow. It's so weird. It's super weird. Um, yeah. What's up, man? <laughs> I was going to say, we should do a podcast in like a moving truck. <laughs> we should. That'd be really <laughs> funny. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I doubt it. It'd probably just as <laughs> not funny as this one. <laughs> hey, you know what? If we're having a good time, that's, you know, that's, that's half the battle. Yeah. Uh, what are we talking about today, dude? Um, that's a really good question. Um, I think one thing we wanted to talk about was sort of what a, having two different businesses. Yeah. And they're each doing different things, but they have the same amount of people. Okay. And maybe one is making more money than the other and sort okay. of the differences between those two businesses. One is making money and the other isn't making money? Kind or of, Or making yeah. smaller margins maybe? Yeah, because I think there's like an idea and because you were thinking about it in the comments that you get where it's just like, yeah, man, like I got three guys. We're doing a million a year. Mm -hmm. Business is good. And yeah, it's like sort of that idea, because uh, I think what we want to sort of speak to the idea is maybe like you think your business is doing good, but is it really doing good? Yeah. Or could it get like, is your business doing good, but could it be doing better? Yeah. 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 Because I've been like looking at that kind of stuff lately. I've been looking at all the plumbing businesses for sale. Not only do I get comments of like, well, it's me and three guys and we're doing, you know, 1.2 million a year in revenue and I'm bringing home $200,000, mm -hmm. right? <clears throat> might be true. Uh, it, his business might profit 10% and he might be taking home 100,000 for his owner pay, right? Mm -hmm. Um and then you get you get guys like I've been looking at businesses and it's wild, dude. Mm -hmm. Like the difference between the revenues and the cash flow and then mm. how many people they have. Yeah. That's what I've been looking at because I want to go find, I want to find businesses that are, have low revenue for how many individuals they have, mm, right? Sure. Because I know at that point their margins are low. Like you'll see the cash flow will be super low mm -hmm. compared to another business that does like half the revenue with the same cash flow. Mm -hmm. So like, for instance, just as an example, mm -hmm. <clears throat> I saw, I was just looking at some before this, like an hour before this, there was a business that was doing like 6 million in revenue, mm -hmm. which is mm -hmm. about what I'm doing with my plumbing company. Mm -hmm. And they're doing about a 1.2 to 1.5 billion in profits, which is about what I'm doing with my company. And then I scroll down to how many people they have. 
and they have 30 people in their business. Wow. Residential service. Okay, just all residential service? There's no commercial or new construction stuff. All in there? residential service work. Interesting. We d- so we're doing the exact same thing as them, but with less than half the people. Hmm. Like we have 12 right now. 12 people in the business. That's it. You probably don't get to see a breakdown of all 30 people and what they do, do you? No, you don't. So mm. you just have to guess. Like my guess, so like looking at that, my guess would be like, okay, so their margins are pretty good still. Like mm. they're still hitting 20% margins. Right. It means they're cutting costs elsewhere. So this particular business had been in business for a long, long time. Sure. So like you can look at that and I bet all their vans are really old. I bet they've probably got pretty good word of mouth. So maybe they don't have to rely too much on, you know, a ton of marketing. Um, they probably don't pay their guys very well because they've been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. Right. So like, like if you go talk to those old business owners that have been around for a long time, mm-hmm. they're paying less, but they kind of get away with it because they've been around so long that, people trust their company, that they're going to sure. be around for another 30 years, right? Yeah, so... So, so they feel really comfortable. Yeah, technicians trust it. Customers trust that. Yeah, they feel really comfortable going and working there because they've been doing it for 30 years. Even mm-hmm. though they let make less money, maybe, mm-hmm. they know they can go there, they can show up, and they're going to have a consistent paycheck, mm-hmm. right? Because I think at the end of the day, all, all employees, they really just want a consistent paycheck. Yeah, 100%. They just want to know they're going to get paid. Yeah, and it's not like... I would say it's not a whole lot of jobs that you show up and you're like, man, I hope I have enough work this week to keep me employed. Yeah. Like if I go work at a grocery store or if I'm an accountant or something like that, I'm showing up and I'm going to have work. Yeah. It's sort of in the service industries where you're like, hey, we might not have enough work for you this week. And you're like, oh. Yeah. And at some companies okay. that means you don't get paid. Yes, exactly. Right? Yeah. And that sucks because if you're, if you as an employee, you're just showing up to work. Mm-hmm. And then when the company says, Hey, I don't have enough work for you this week and you're not going to make any money, then you're yeah. like, crap. Yeah. Like, I can imagine certain parts of my life where if my boss was like, Sorry, can't pay you this week, I'd be like, Okay, that's a pretty big deal. <laughs> like, I'm uh, kind of screwed right now. Like, yeah. like, if that happened to me, if I was working for somebody and they were like, Yeah, we don't have enough work. You got to take a couple weeks off. I'd be like, I'll see you in a couple of weeks if I don't find another job. Yeah, definitely. Like, I'm gonna go look for another job. Yeah, you can't just like float two I weeks. I ain't chilling for two weeks. Yeah, I mean, I should take that back because <laughs> there there's times where I've taken like sure. a couple months off. Right. Um. So if it fell at a good time and I was like, oh sweet, I wanted some time off anyways. Right. If they knew they were gonna have work in two weeks, then it might be a different story. But right. <clears throat> Anyway. And how much money you had in your bank. All that stuff. Those yeah. personal things. All that good stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's wild looking at these businesses and just seeing the difference in ca- like revenue, cash flows, and how many employees they have. And it's going to be really interesting to go start hopping on Zoom mm-hmm. calls with these people and asking them questions, right? Yeah. And these are all businesses that are currently up for sale. Mm-hmm. That you're looking at. Mm-hmm. Can we continue to talk about that business with the 30 employees? Mm-hmm. Just because we've talked about how you've, they've sort of, you think right that they have less expenses and that is why they can still have good profit margins with well, a they ton have more to. people. Like sure. there's no other explanation, mm-hmm. right? You can't have 30 employees all making eighty thousand a year with mm-hmm. all brand new trucks, heavily invested in marketing in your in your marketplace, right? right. An owner that makes an owner's paycheck. And, 
still have like that many employees and produce like have that good of a profit margin, right? Yeah. You, can't, you can't have that good of cash flow. So either there's they're either really they're either like keeping their expenses really low by paying their guys less, having less vans, mm-hmm. maybe the guys got to supply all their own tools, you know, mm-hmm. those kinds of things or they are cooking their books somehow how mm-hmm. to make their sure. numbers look better and then when you actually dig into them you're going to find out oh they don't actually produce this cash flow they were fudging mm-hmm. that number here right mm-hmm. um yeah what are the, what do you think these 30 people are doing i think they're out working dude my guess is like mm. this company is just underpriced sure so they've then been they in, have to go with volume yeah they and they don't even know they don't know that they're underpriced because they've been in it for 30 years and Let's say 20 years ago, they bought all brand new vans. Sure. So they got all 2004 Chevy Expresses out in the field, and they're still running, Mm -hmm. and they're all paid off, and they've been paid off. You can can float there, right? Yeah. But they should be just, like, they should be raising their prices because they're making a million bucks a year. At some point in time, 30 employees, like 25 of those or 20 of those, I would hope, are technicians. Yeah. And... They're gonna have to go buy twenty new vans at some point. It's not gonna be a cheap endeavor, right? Yeah. So at that point, then they're gonna have to go. Oh, we gotta actually raise our prices because their expenses are gonna necessarily increase. Yeah, at some point in time. Yeah, yeah. And I think like, and I don't know. Like, I'd have to sit down and talk to the owners, but it'd be inter. I'll, I'm gonna be interested to see what they're doing for advertising. Yeah, that'll probably be a really interesting conversation with. Well, let me start with this. How many businesses do you plan to talk to? So I've got like seven on the list right now. Mm-hmm. Do you have yeah. calls booked with all seven of them? No. Gotcha. Nope. Which, Not yet. But these are the ones you're looking at. Yeah. these I have seven that really piqued my interest. Mm-hmm. There's like two categories. There's three categories I have them in. So there's businesses that I'm looking at that have, they have low revenue numbers, low cash flow numbers, mm relatively low number of employees like three to four employees mm-hmm. so usually like two or three guys out in the field and somebody in the office taking calls whether that's the owner or an actual csr right yeah um real quick let's define some terms here yeah so low revenue they're just not they don't have high sales yeah so they've got like two or three guys out in the field i'll say two to four and they're hitting like 800 to a million million and a half in revenue mm-hmm and then their margins are like, you know, their cash flow is like 10%. Is is margin and cash flow, is that interchangeable terminology? Um, kind of. Like when you're looking at when you're looking at businesses for sale, they'll use the term cash flow because mm-hmm. they don't want to tell you profit margins. They don't want to use that language or they don't want to tell you the profit margins. They don't want to use that language because a lot of times they throw other things in there. So like they mm. might be they might be making a hundred thousand profit, but have hundred thousand dollars in owner pay and they would count that as two hundred thousand in cash flow and you don't really know until you sign an LOI and go look at their books right gotcha so these are numbers that are sort of preliminary before you get to see their real numbers yeah so this is sort of like curbside appeal curbside appeal they're usually they're trying to make it look as good as possible sure to appeal to the would-be buyers yep and you just kind of have to understand that and then go in and do your due diligence and actually learn what's going on and then make an educated decision on how much you would be willing to pay for it yeah yeah let me ask you this question why are you looking for businesses to buy just (laughs) because it's fun (laughs) 
okay. No, All I right. want to like I have my business in Alaska, but um, you know we're in a small market, and so typically you would just go buy another business in an adjacent market and then rebrand that business to okay. your business, right? And so I've I've been crunching the numbers between you know startup. Um, purchase a small business that needs turned around. So like they need to come in, like I would have to come in and raise prices, buy all new vehicles, buy some mm -hmm. new equipment, mm -hmm. buy tools, give the guys raises, you know, do proper marketing, that kind of stuff. But they're up and going for the most part and they right. have been up and going for a few years now versus buying a business that is, you know, completely up and going, um, but has room for growth. Mm. So kind of what I'm looking for is like somebody who is right on the edge of needing a general manager that can that we can go in and purchase. And yeah, we're going to pay more money for that company, but they've sure. already got new vans. They've already got a good brand. They've already got service Titan. They've already got a price book going. Mm -hmm. So we could go in and, and make relatively few changes, grow the business a bit. Mm -hmm. And it'd be a really easy thing to do, right? Mm -hmm. So more money out of pocket, but a lot less work to actually yeah. grow the company. Gotcha. So looking at those those three different methods, you know, I've kind of mapped it out on a spreadsheet of like what it looks like, what the process looks like. Um, you know, kind of like worst case scenario. I've done like best case scenario, worst mm -hmm. case scenario, and how much those scenarios cost, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. To go implement the things that we have to implement. Starting from scratch is the most expensive way to do a plumbing business, right? Yeah. Well, it makes sense. Yeah. But so, and that's for me to do that, right? Because right. I I don't want to go work in the field. Right. I don't have time to go work in the field. Right. Yeah. You can't so, put everything else in your life on pause to go and start taking calls all right, day. Right. And, and start producing cash flow. Yeah. Right. So for me, it's the most expensive because then I have to pay other people to produce that cash flow. Yeah. So right? you already have to have a bunch of money up front so that mm -hmm. you can say, hey, no, I have money for you to go do this. Mm -hmm. I know it's slow. It's yep. keep working for me. So like we don't have that conversation that we just had. Like, hey, Jared, I don't have any work. You're like, I know. Yeah. No money yet. Trust yeah. in me. Just trust me. Yeah. You know, like so in that instance, I would go in <laughs> like a uh, or sorry, just starting out. Right. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to start from scratch. Yeah. It just doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. For somebody who doesn't have anything else to do, who can go work in the field, makes total sense all of a sudden. Sure. Because you crunch those numbers and it's really not that bad. Yeah. Because now they don't need any money down to buy a business because they likely don't have any money. Right. They can go out in the field and be the one producing cash flow, yep. which means you know they're not paying somebody else to produce that cash flow. Right. So now all they got to do is pay themselves not pay themselves and somebody else. Right. So for somebody just starting out, like starting your own thing, it makes the most sense. Mm -hmm. It takes the longest and it's the hardest, but mm -hmm. it's pretty much your only option unless you have a ton of cash to go purchase something else, yeah. right? And when you say take takes the longest, best case scenario, how long would it take if that person was going to start their own business? Start from scratch? Mm-hmm. I mean, it depends on how far you want to go. Well, let's just say get to where you're at, like five, six million in revenue. I mean, you can do it in two, two and a half years. Yeah. You could. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's probably probably a little dependent on market, like how, sure. how easy it is to break into your market with advertising and stuff. So I would want to pick a good market. I would get like a marketing analysis done of the market. Mm -hmm. And then- How do you get a marketing analysis? Um, a lot of marketing companies will give you those, but then 
I mean, you can go in like me personally, I would go in and just like check out the population, check out how many plumbers are there, check mm. out how many of them have lots of five-star reviews, how many of them have well-branded vehicles, nice websites, that kind of stuff. That'll give you a good idea of like how much competition there is compared to how big the population is, right? And then um, you can go look at median income. Mm. You can go look at, you know, a, a poverty-stricken area isn't going to be as good of a place to start a business as somebody who's, you know, typically the best kind of clients are like upper middle class. Right. Because um, they have the least amount of, they have money, but they have the least amount of time. So they're still trading a lot of their time for money. Right. Right. Versus people who are a little more wealthy, they're usually not trading their time for money anymore. Mm. And so you giving them their time back, they don't care about as much as right having money. I don't know. Right. It's, it's a weird thing. Like you like deal with ultra rich people who've got the million dollar mansions on the beach and they're the snobbiest people on the planet. Yeah. And that's not always the case, right. but the majority of them versus if you deal with the upper middle class, blue collar, they're typically like, I got to get back to work. Sure. So I need this fixed like now. Right. Right. I have no interest in doing this myself. Like, cause those, yeah. those older generation of really wealthy people, they probably came much more from the, I fix it myself. Yeah. And a like, lot of them do. You yeah. know, I retired and now I have more time to like, I'm thinking of my dad yeah. who's like, He's not ultra wealthy by any means, but he's of that mind of like, I'm going to fix stuff myself. Yeah, but even your dad paid me to replace his water heater. He did because yeah. he, I think he tried or I think he, he was did. like figuring <laughs> he it out. Did. He's like, nope. I, so he gave he gave it the old college try. Yep. And then I was like, you should just call Jared. He got to the soldering and he was like, eh, <laughs> if this leaks, then I yeah. got to like pull this all apart again. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I'll just call Jared. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's funny. So yeah, looking at these businesses, um, the middle option, so like that's startup. Startup is costly unless you can go work in the field. Right. The middle option there of buying a business that you can turn around is kind of cool. So there's, there's, it's still costly, right? Sure. But it's a little less costly and it's a little less work than startup. What are the costs involved? So like if you're going in, like I would put a business in this category um, has been around for a while, doesn't have good branding, mm -hmm. isn't on software like Service Titan, doesn't have a price book, is doing some marketing, but not like a full-blown marketing strategy, mm -hmm. and um, probably underpaying their guys, probably needs some new tools. Mm -hmm. So you would have to go into this business, and like day one, you'd probably want to give the guys a raise. Sure. So go in, give them a little bit of a raise, buy their trust and then yeah, definitely and then go in and you know sell all the old vans and bring in a new fleet so there's an expense there um and then new logo rebrand all that good stuff mm -hmm. bring in service titan build out a new price book start marketing and then grow from there mm -hmm. so that those ones seem cool because it's just it's fun to take something that's old yeah. and not running so smooth and really turn it around and make it run smooth. That'd be really fun to me. Yeah, what's funny about this is we've had conversations where you would you would express to me like, dude, it'd be cool to like go into these businesses. Uh -huh. And you you were at the time thinking of not plumbing businesses. Uh -huh. You were thinking of like, I would love to go into like this style of business, yeah. see what was up with it and really fix it. Yeah. It's just kind just of funny. Turn the levers and make it happen. Yeah, it's funny that we're having this conversation where you're considering doing that uh -huh. thing. Uh -huh. I don't know, it's just 
funny to me. Yeah. Talk about stuff and then it starts to become a reality and then you're like, oh, here funny. we are talking about it in a real sense, not just yeah. in a hypothetical sense. Yeah. I think it'd be fun. Um, would be would be cool about that is like you would create new opportunity for the people that are already in that business. Sure, yeah. And you, be, could, you could come into it sort of with that air yeah. as you're like, because when you buy that business, you have to sell all these guys that you're like, you are a good guy. Yep. You are not big corporate air yep. quotes guy who's going to come in and make this into Roto-Rooter or whatever thing yep. they fear. It's going to be a good place to work. We're going to take care of you. It's gonna Here's be, some more money. Here's some new vans. Yeah, it's going to be cool. Mm. So that one has its advantages. Um, number one, you can usually get those pretty cheap. Um, mm. And usually, like, nobody else wants those. So you can, a lot of times... Why don't they want them? Because there's so much work. Like, for a, for a larger, like, PE firm, mm. they would rather go buy a business that's already producing money that then they could go scale even further and make it produce twice as much money, yep. right? Um, hence, increasing its worth. Like, that's the game they play. Right. Um, there's a few, there are people that go in and snag these businesses, um, but it's not, you know, they're few and far between. Sure. But, um, like, cool thing about that business, you get to go in and buy new vans, so you get to depreciate the vans. Yeah. So. <laughs> you're always looking for those opportunities. Yeah, well, and if you calculate it, like, at the end of the day, it's really just a wash. Like, you depreciate just enough to get rid of the amount of money that you would have paid in taxes anyway. So like mm -hmm. the amount you have to spend on getting the new vans and the amount you save on taxes is a wash. Right. But if you think about it, it's like, okay, I can take this money and I can give it to the IRS mm -hmm. or I can take this money and buy new vans and it's put into an asset that now makes me more money, right? Yeah. I would much rather put it into new vans. Yeah. Can you define depreciate? So whenever you buy a piece, a large piece of equipment, Mm -hmm. um, and it's, I think it's, there's a dollar amount or a weight rating mm -hmm. or whatever, depending on what it is. And this is for your business or personal? For your business. Okay. But I mean, it all trickles back to your personal taxes. Yeah, right? sure. Because, well, maybe walk of, us through at that. At the end of the day, you owe the, you owe the money on the taxes. It doesn't matter yeah. where the money comes. IRS yeah. just wants their money, right? Yeah. So, so the IRS looks at Jared Williams, and because and Prospector profits a million dollars, they're like, Jared Williams, you owe us yeah, Jared k or whatever. Jared made this much money personally. Mm -hmm. His One of his businesses made this much. His other business made this much. The taxes on the businesses, if they're set up as LLCs, as S-Corps, mm -hmm. they're taxed a little differently, so they're a little lower tax rate. Um, but then... You know, they ultimately go on my tax return. Gotcha. And then I owe a bunch of money in taxes. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yep. That's, I mean, I think that's helpful though, because I didn't know that yeah. until just, I don't know, probably fairly recently, just having conversations with you like, oh, it's not like your business is this other person that like pays the taxes. No, I mean, it kind of does. Like, right. I just pay the taxes out of my business account. Right. I pay sure. my personal and my business account. Right. Or sure. taxes, right? Um, but when you're so on that, like if you start your business, you should start an LLC, which somebody's going to say that's not a license and it's not. It's like a status or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but then when you when you go to the IRS, you can on the federal level, you can file for S, S corp status. Mm. Um, and what that does is it. So if you uh, if you own your business and it's a sole proprietor, mm -hmm. that's fine in the beginning. But at some point in time, your business is going to make more money than what you need to make personally. 
So let's mm-hmm. say you mm-hmm. need to make $100,000 mm-hmm. and now your plumbing business is now making $500,000 a year. If you're a sole proprietor, you're going to pay self-employment tax on that other $400,000. Sure. And self-employment tax, last I looked, and I don't know if this is accurate, it was like 9%. Right. It's a quite a bit of money, right? Mm-hmm. So 10% is 40 grand, 9% is a little less than that. Still a lot yeah. of money, right? Mm-hmm. So... In what addition you, to like your personal taxes, so the business would pay you a hundred thousand, and right. the business would make four hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. You would pay taxes on the hundred thousand, mm-hmm. right? Yep. The normal taxes, yep. and then the business would pay the taxes on the four hundred thousand. Gotcha. Right. Mm-hmm. It's all based off you, all your income now. Yeah. So your income would be 500,000. You're in a pretty oh, sure. high tax Oh, sure, so you would bracket. jump into that bracket because your business yes. made in that money. So you wouldn't be like, I'm in the $100,000 tax series of tax brackets. Right. You'd be into the yes. top end of the tax bracket. Yep. And so if you file for S-Corp status, mm-hmm. it's the same way, like you still make $500,000, but the $400,000 income that the business made, now you don't have to pay self-employment tax on. Mm. You only pay all the other taxes. So then you save 9%. You save 9%, yeah. which is a big portion of money, right? Yes. So the second your business makes more money than you actually need to pay yourself, mm-hmm. you need to go file for S-Corp status. Mm. And I'm not a tax advisor, but that's how it's, wor- that's how it's worked <laughs> that is in a my disclaimer. life. That is I'm a pretty disclaimer. Su- pretty sure if you went and asked any tax advisor, they'd probably be like, oh, yeah, that makes total sense. They would probably say, Jared, or they'd probably say whoever you are, yeah, you need to file for S-Corp status. Like yeah. you're paying way too much in taxes. Yeah. So that was a little side side note, but very important. Helpful though, helpful. Um, so yeah, depreciation basically, mm-hmm. you know, in that if you made 500,000, but you bought $200,000 worth of vehicles, mm-hmm. um, last year you could depreciate 100% of the vehicle. So you could say, okay, dang, I'm going to depreciate 200,000 worth of vehicles, which lowers my $500,000 income to Mm $300,000, right? Basically, you expense it is how that works. Like, that's an easy way to understand it. Mm -hmm. So now you only have to pay taxes on $300,000 instead Mm of $500,000. Gotcha. So if you're in the 30% tax bracket, you know, you're saving 30% on Mm $200,000, which is a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, this year now it's... I think it's 80% this year. So you can gotcha. depreciate 80% the first year and then I believe the other 20% the next year. So it's still 100%. It's just you can't do it all in that first year. <clears throat> right. And you don't have to do it all the first year. Mm-hmm. You can opt to do it over a five-year period. Those are the options, though? It's either you do it all right now or you do it over five? I don't know if you can split it up in two or three or four or five. I don't know how that works. But oh. I know that you can, you can definitely do it all now or do it over a five-year period. Yeah. What did you choose to do? I always did it now mm-hmm. because if you, and the, like that's something your accountant's going to be like, you should spread this over a five year period because you're going to need those. Yeah, you're going to need those, you know, write offs. Yeah, and I I always told them like, look, I'm going to take the write offs now because I got stuff I want to spend money on now, like right. even more stuff to grow my business, mm-hmm. and then I'll deal with finding stuff to write it off later. Like I'll deal with that sure, when it comes. Yeah. And that comes, I mean, that comes out of like an abundance philosophy right there where yeah. you say, I'm going to find other things to depreciate later, mm-hmm. but instead of like holding it off and yeah. then like trying to spread it all around, like you just, you're saying, yeah. take care of it now. Obviously you're and a they're, tax guy. And right they're now. thinking the, like your tax guy is thinking small. He's thinking like, yeah. okay, 
um, you made, you know, you had a $4 million year this year, you know, in revenue and you made $800,000. Let's say you made 20% profit. Mm. You made $800,000. Well, if you do, if you do this good next year, you're going to have another big tax bill. And then that following, you're going to have another big tax bill. So if you depreciate over five years, you can take little chunks every year. And I was, I just always said, Nope, I'll take all my depreciation and then we'll figure it out next year. Yeah, that sounds like the strategy that you outlined that your tax guy was trying to encourage. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a predictable strategy. Mm-hmm. We're like, hey, man, you can predictably reduce your tax bill by this much for the next five years. Yeah, but you don't know like if year two or year three or year four or year five, you have a bad year. Yes. And then you're depreciating part of your vehicle that you don't even need to. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That just doesn't make sense to me. It's yes. like, I know I can get max value for it now. I'm going to take it. Yeah. You have a bird in your hand. You're going to yeah. do whatever you do with a bird in your hand. Yeah. And and when you're growing your plumbing business, like for me, mm. like that first, you know, the first few months, um, I saved up 80K and I needed that cash. Yeah, sure. I needed it to grow my business. You need every advantage you can get. And if I would have had to pay taxes, I would have had to pay like... 50 grand of that 80K to the IRS. Mm -hmm. Instead, I wrote off my vehicle and then I didn't have to pay anything. I think I'd bought two vehicles Mm -hmm. in that first six months. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have to pay taxes. Then the following year, we bought, you know, another six or seven vehicles. Didn't have to pay any taxes. Yeah. Um, So it allowed me to take, which that year, if I would have had to pay taxes, I would have been left with nothing. Oh my gosh. Because I'd taken all the money we made over the course of the year yeah. and sunk it all back into the business. Yeah. Mm. And had I not depreciated the vehicles, I would have just, all the money I had, I would have just had to give to the IRS. Yeah. And to me, it was like, well, I'll keep this cash. <laughs> then I got rainy day money and mm-hmm. I have money where I can go actually do something else with mm-hmm. it. So it just, it doesn't make sense to like mm. put cash in your pocket at a future date. I would rather have the cash now. Because yeah. I know that I can always go make more cash at a future date, yeah. right? Or yeah. go make more depreciation. Yeah, and it's cool because because you're operating out of like an abundance perspective, mm-hmm. um, you're setting yourself up for that, oh, in the future, I can make more money, I can depreciate more things. Yeah. But then it's also pushing you forward. You're, you're forced to build your business, your portfolio even. Yeah. So it keeps you forward thinking instead of keeps you on the back foot. It's so like you're leaning, you're just leaning forward the whole time. Yeah. Let's take like, I'm looking at buying these plumbing businesses, right? Mm-hmm. It's going to take cash. Right. Um, and we're building these other businesses. It takes cash. Right. Mm-hmm. And so just last year, had I not bought real estate and more vehicles, I would have paid, I think I was look staring down a $380,000 tax bill. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. And so instead, I went and bought a house and two more vehicles, and I got that tax bill down to sixty grand. Mm. I should have bought another house because then I would have paid zero in taxes, yeah. and I could have used that sixty grand that I gave to the government mm. on gaining another asset, right? Right, that mm-hmm. is slowly paying itself off, hopefully cash flowing me money, mm-hmm. and it's there, and I can always sell it and mm. whatever. Um, had I not done that though. So now I have an extra $320,000 to play with. Right. Right. Now I can take that $320,000. I can go start another business. Mm -hmm. That business is going to make me more money. I can go buy another business. Mm -hmm. That business is going to make me money. And if you just continually keep taking the money that you were going to pay in taxes and then go purchase real estate or vehicles Mm -hmm. and find a way to depreciate, 
then you have extra cash left over that you can then go do more stuff with. Yeah. Instead of just giving it to the government and being like, well, I guess I'll make it next year. Yeah, right? it's cool because then it can line up ideologically with the idea that, well, the government isn't going to do a great job with my money. Uh-huh. Like, that's no my way. experience. So <laughs> yeah. if I want to be... A, Have you ever been to the DMV? I mean, the one in Pensacola is it's like a nice setup. Dude, it's still, it's it's a mess. I mean, it's still slow. I don't think forever. I... There's... So in, in Fairbanks, we had the public, the like public ran DMV, the state yeah. ran DMV, and yep. we had the private ran DMV. Yeah. The private ran DMV was so much better. Yeah, it's way better. I don't know if that like, and so then we moved down here. I'm like, maybe the DMV will be awesome because yeah. it's a bigger city. Mm-hmm. They got more people. Dude, it's a mess. The only thing that they have improved upon is I can join the line online. Mm. That's the only innovation that has like made it feel like it's not a big pain in the butt. Yeah. But it's still like, they, it's going to take text you. They're like, you're up next. And then an hour later, you're standing at the counter. Yeah. Or for yeah. me, when I was like, you're up in 45 minutes, I was like, cool, man. I'm going to go get some breakfast. And it's like, you're up next. I'm like, oh. <laughs> you just no. It's why I had to like jump back in line. Yeah. Um, but my point is like if you if you have that idea that uh-huh. the government isn't the place where you want to put all your money because uh-huh. you don't want to go f- fund all these crazy things. Yeah. Then as a responsible citizen, mm, I would even say yeah, as a responsible citizen, keep that money and reinvest it into your local endeavors. Yes. Because again, if you're reinvesting into businesses, building your own business, maybe having real estate, you are now providing more opportunities to people. Like I can't, I have complained to myself and listened to people complain about like, well, these landlords are just slumlords, you know? And like, this is terrible. It's like, okay, well, if you need to depreciate so that you don't pay taxes, go buy a rental property and become not a slumlord. Yeah. Like run it well. You are actually going to impact your community instead of just giving that money to the government who's going to go do whatever they do with it, which yep. isn't impacting your community in like an actually tangible, positive way. Yeah, I would so much rather take my money and invest it myself than rely on the government to invest it in a wise fashion. Yeah. That's like, we're going to get, if this turns into a real, we're going to get so much hate. <laughs> on, uh, they're going to be like, you. that's what's wrong with you business pigs or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, and I mean that. I mean, again, that's the fundamental assumption. With that, is yeah. the government is spending your money in a way that actually benefits you. Yeah, and I would challenge anybody to think that to provide me with examples of how many things the government does is benefiting me. Yeah, like I don't know. I mean, this is like a rabbit trail that we could jump into for a long time. Yeah, but we like, probably I, shouldn't do that. But there's just a bunch of stuff that I don't think the government the government is doing right now that I'm seeing like, I don't really know how that benefits me. Yep. And if you're questioning that, just go down to the DMV and know that every part of the government runs just as poorly as the DMV. Yes, it's just at a bigger scale. And, and it's if your much DMV more is good, let me know in the comments down below because yeah. I want to see it. Yeah, I want to <laughs> see what that means. Yeah. Um, but the opportunity you have as a business owner is to use your money in ways that can benefit your community. Yeah. And like, that's a that's an incredible opportunity because not everybody has that opportunity or if they do, they don't lean into it as much as they could. Correct. I agree. So that's how depreciation works. Yeah, cool. Um, so really, in, in layman's term, depreciation is buying something that I can write off because yep. it makes money for my business. So, yep. it's, so it's write-offable. Um, and then that way, I don't have to pay all this money to the government. Correct. Which means I have more money available for my business or for my personal portfolios or whatever. And the only way that makes sense is if you use debt to buy the vehicles. Okay, walk me through. 
Because if I go buy a vehicle mm. and it costs me 80 grand, all said and done, and then I go depreciate 80 grand, it's the same as just spending 80 grand. So right? if you buy like with 80 grand cash is what you're saying? Yeah. If I spent 80 grand cash on it, I lose the 80 grand cash. Yeah, it's gone. And yeah, I don't have to pay taxes on the 80 grand cash, but that does me no benefit because I still am out 80 grand cash, right? Mm-hmm. Versus if you go get a loan on the 80 grand, you might have to put five grand down and you're out 5K in cash, mm-hmm. but you have this, now you have this asset. I would call this an asset because it actively makes you income right. that can actively make you way more income than the payment on it, mm-hmm. right? Like way more. Oh yeah, van? Are you kidding yeah. me? You're gonna be paying what? Let's say you're paying like 1,800, 2,000 bucks a month on a van. 2,000 bucks a month, and anybody could hop in there and bill out 50 grand a month, yeah. right? 20% profits, you're making 10 grand a month <laughs> yeah, off that, that one that band, payment right that payment is no big deal no no big deal and it should be built into your hourly rate anyways of course so that i mean even if you were going to pay for it cash it still should be built into your hourly rate yeah because someday you're gonna have to replace that van yes so hmm. the like the best way to do it is five grand down and then you go get a loan you get to write off that 80K, so the government treats it like you spent the 80K, but in mm. fact, you still have 75,000 of that 80K, right? So you're still making payments on it even though you depreciated it. Yes. Oh, man. Yeah. Hmm. Still making payments on it, but you got to depreciate the whole thing. Yeah. Didn't have to pay taxes on that money, and you got to keep that money in your business. Right. And now you can use that money to continue to grow your business. Right. It's right? not quite like the government wrote you a check when you depreciated it but it almost feels that way because they said, I won't take that now. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's cool. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, makes total sense. Mm-hmm. So like even at the end of the year, if you're staring down the foot of a tax bill and you know that you want to grow your business some more, it might be a wise idea to think ahead and go, okay, I'm probably going to owe this much on taxes and I should probably go buy another van so that I can get my tax burden down because I'm going to need the van anyways, mm-hmm. right? Um, planning ahead like that is always a good thing. Do you go into this and do our coaching program? Um, yeah, like it's all part of like, um, so I would look at this in like the profit first banking. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's yeah. a book called Profit First for Contractors and, we, and it basically goes into, it's a really good book. The Profit First book I read, the original one, mm-hmm. And it's like, its whole basis is like, hey, look, you're charging for this product. And if you go out and you charge for this product and you have this much overhead, you know, if you do this banking system and you have no money left over in your expense account at the end of the month, your overhead's too much. Mm-hmm. And you got to decrease mm-hmm. your cost of doing business. Mm-hmm. And I, I, it, it's cool and it's applicable in some businesses. Right. And, and then he came out with Profit First for Contractors, which is a much better book for plumbers to read because... Instead of going in, he goes into detail and he's like, hey, if you don't have money left over in your expense account, mm. it's likely because you're not charging enough, right. right? You're not charging enough to actually cover your overhead. Mm-hmm. Um, so he kind of flips the script there, which is good. Mm-hmm. Um, but so basically you should be figuring out in your in your banking system, like, okay, I'm setting aside a certain percentage every day or every week for taxes, right? Yeah, sure. So you, yeah. Mm-hmm. So like, mm. so like our bank accounts, if you were to log into our online banking system, we've got a income account, an expense account, a profit account, a tax account, and an owner compensation account. Mm-hmm. 
and there's certain percentages when anything comes into the income account. My wife goes in there every single day. Mm -hmm. She looks at how much money's in our income account. Mm -hmm. She goes into a spreadsheet that we have made and she puts in the number and then it tells her how much based on a percentage mm, goes cool. into each account. Yeah, gotcha. Right? So that we always have money set aside. We know we're making profit. We know we're setting aside for taxes. Yeah. We know we're setting aside for, you know, owner compensation. Yeah. Um, and that just gives us an idea of like how much money we have that we can then go invest in other things, right? Mm. So when you're looking at your tax account, you can say, you like we I check that probably once a month. I go in and I say, okay, I look at my PL. Mm. I'm like, we've hit this much net profit. Mm -hmm. I'm in this tax margin mm -hmm. um, of like 30%. So that means I'm going to owe this much on taxes. Do I have enough in my tax account sure. to cover those taxes where I'm at right now? If I have too much, I'll pull some out. Mm, gotcha. If I don't have enough, I'll put some, some more in there and adjust my percentages to where I'm constantly putting away enough money for my taxes. Right. Right. Um, and then you can go in and you can go, okay, so I know that, so now I know I'm in the 30% tax bracket. I know that I've hit, you know, let's just say I've hit 500,000 net profits. Mm -hmm. That's a, so I'm going to owe 150,000 in taxes, right? Easy math. You don't have to pay a accountant or anybody to do this for you or a CPA or whatever. TurboTax. TurboTax. I don't pay quarterly taxes either mm -hmm. because to me it's dumb. <laughs> like, like <laughs> they are dumb, dude. Like I remember the when I first started my business, and my bookkeeper was like, "Hey, quarterly taxes are coming up. You need to pay this accountant to come look in your books and let us know how much you're going to need to pay in quarterly taxes." And so I pay this lady like a thousand dollars to come tell me I owe the government so much money, um, and that I should pay this much in quarterly taxes, and I'm like. She was wrong, first of all. Oh, like, and I knew she was wrong because mm. I knew what I was going to pay in taxes, what you, I was going to have to pay in mm. taxes. And she, so I paid her all this money, and I'm like, man, what happens if you don't pay quarterly taxes? And they're like, oh, you get a fine. I'm like, how much is the fine? She's like, oh, well, it's based on like you know all this stuff. It'll be like 50 bucks. And I was like, don't pay the quarterly taxes. <laughs> My bookkeeper freaked out. Mm -hmm. She was like, you know who she was. Mm -hmm. She was like... That's it's against the law. You have to pay your taxes. Mm -hmm. It's right here in the rule book. We can't do that. I ended up getting a new bookkeeper, mm -hmm. um, and I still don't pay quarterly taxes to mm -hmm. this day. Remember, you're not a CPA, so you're not. I'm not a CPA, but this is how I do it. Yeah, like take it or leave it. Not a CPA. Not giving Make you tax your own advice. Choices. You're the only do one your responsible. Own research. For them. You're the one responsible. But so I st I will still like we'll, I'll pay quarter four taxes, yeah. um, because you can pay them like way past quarter four and. <laughs> Usually by then I know what I'm going to owe in taxes. Yeah. So it saves me the fee on the quarter four taxes. But quarter one, two, and three, I just pay the fee. Yeah. And it's usually like a couple hundred bucks. Which in the, like a couple hundred bucks is like in the grand scheme of your business. When I could keep that cash in my account to be available to purchase things that I know are going to get me depreciation and lower my tax bill. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's the game I would rather play. Hey, if you want to take your plumbing business to the next level, you're going to want to join our coaching program over at Wealthy Plumber, where you can get everything you need to grow a multi-million dollar plumbing company, including pricing calculators, SOPs, email campaigns, and the whole nine yards. If you want to check it out, go to wealthyplumber.com. That is wealthyplumber.com. We were talking about depreciation. Depreciation, taxes, 
Right. We were talking about profit first. Yep. Like you should be looking at that stuff and then going, since you're not paying quarterly taxes and you're just setting money aside in your bank account for the end of year taxes, then you should be looking at that and going, okay, I know I'm going to owe 150,000 in taxes, Mm -hmm. right? This hypothetical business made 500,000. Right. They're going to have to pay 150,000 in taxes. Mm -hmm. Let's think about how we can get rid of that. Um, Mm -hmm. So like if you're in the, if you're in the 30% tax bracket, if you go buy a $100,000 thing that's depreciable, right? Mm-hmm. It's going to lower your overall income by $100,000. Mm-hmm. So if you made $500,000 net income, now all of a sudden you're only at $400,000 net income, mm-hmm. and now you only have to pay 30% taxes on that $400,000, yeah. right? Yeah. So before you're paying 30% on 500 out mm-hmm. of 150,000, sure. now you're only paying 30% on 400. So that's what it was forty times. Could be anything, forty dude. times three. three one hundred twenty thousand. So you just lowered your tax burden from one hundred and fifty to one hundred twenty. Mm-hmm. Th- and you gained an asset. And you gained an asset that can go make you money. Yeah. And you just saved thirty grand on taxes. Yeah. And you likely only had to pay like five grand for the down payment, and maybe you put fifteen into that, so yeah. twenty grand. So you're ten grand on the upside. Mm-hmm. That's ten thousand dollars more now you have that you can go spend on advertising or more vehicles yeah. or whatever. Right. Yep. And you knew that because of the way that you from profit first for contractors, you structure your bank account in a certain way so that you can essentially be like, okay, this is what my tax bill is going to be. I need to make moves this year. Yeah. So that next year profit first is more about just making sure you set it aside. Yes. Um mm. really you can just figure out your tax burden by going Okay, I've made this much net income this year. Yeah. If I continue on this path for the rest of the year, right. what tax bracket am I going to be in? Go yeah. Google the tax brackets and then you can see how yeah. much you're going to pay percentage-wise in taxes. And then just go figure, okay, so this so I've made 100 150,000 so far this year. Mm-hmm. I'm going to owe Sure, yeah. Roughly this much tax, and then it. you're going to be like, predictably, I'm going to be making this much the rest of the year because yep. that's how business goes. Yep. And so then this is, and then you can start, as you say, when things come into your income account, you can start to disperse the appropriate amount into your tax account so yep. you're covered for it. And then you can actually go take some of that tax money that you've been putting aside, and you can use it to go buy things mm. that will lower your tax burden. Right. Yeah. Right? Of course. Like we, that one van that costs us twenty grand to purchase an outfit and get going. Mm-hmm. Saved us thirty grand in taxes. Right. We could have taken that twenty grand from our tax account and put it into that van instead. Right. And it's like you're you didn't even you didn't even lose money. Like yeah, it's not coming from your profit. Notice, it's not right? coming from. It's already coming from. A it's coming from area. money that you were going to give to the government anyways. That's our free money. Yeah. So you need to be thinking about that. Like when you're when you're planning your business out. When you're thinking about okay, am I going to continue to grow? You know, what am I going to need next year? Can I buy things? Right. now to lower my tax burden yeah. even if you buy them a little bit before you need it you're going to give it to the government anyways so yeah and then like like it, i mean i want to emphasize again that it puts you in a position of positive movement yeah because then suddenly you just bought an asset that maybe you weren't originally going to buy this year but you were looking down you just bought an asset bracket. it costs you no money right and now you could actually if you had enough work you could put somebody in there and actually go make more money. Yep. Or right? it's something where you go, man, I just bought that. I should probably get enough work so that I can use that. Because then I'm like, <laughs> that's now, what, I'm, now I'm double dipping almost. That's what ends up happening. You yeah. buy a vehicle because of your taxes, and then you sit there and you look at it, and you're like, 
I should put a butt in that truck. <laughs> like wait, it's just sitting yeah, there. Wait, I should what actually use that thing, huh? Yeah. So then you're like, oh, I should go do stuff. I'm gonna hire somebody, or I'm gonna go do some more advertising. Yeah. Or whatever you got to do, right? To keep yep. pushing forward. Yeah. But yeah. Hmm. Okay. And then, and then, like at some point in time, you get to the point where your business is at a at the spot you want it to be. Mm-hmm. You don't, you know, some people want to grow to 50 million. Some people want to grow to 100 million. Some people only want to go to five or six or seven or eight or nine or 10. Nothing wrong with any stage of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then at some point in time, you go, okay, now how do I depreciate money? Right. And it usually ends up being real estate. Yeah. Like you can go buy other businesses. The businesses that you buy, like when you, like if I were to go buy this business for a million dollars and I got an SBA loan and I put 100K down on it, mm-hmm. I only get to write off that 100K on that uh, business. I only right? get to write off the down payment. Yeah. So the only way that I would be able to depreciate money is if I bought a business that I needed to replace the vans in, right? Sure. Gotcha. Okay. So, I understand. So then that's, you would depreciate the vans and that was where you could do that. Yeah. And so that's why that kind of business mm-hmm. is a little bit attractive. Number one, you get to go, you get to purchase it for less money. So purchasing for less money has, a and, and these businesses aren't bought as often. So right. you can buy them for less and they're not bought as often, which means you can negotiate terms in your favor. Mm. So I would like to go to these people and say, Hey, you want to owner finance. I'll actually mm-hmm. pay you more for your business um, if you owner finance to me. Sure. I'll pay you more than it's worth, right? Because I know I can go in mm. and I can add value to this company and grow it to a point to where what I paid for it is still worth it for me, right? Um, that's the attractive part about that style of business. A right. little bit of work, less money, less money than startup. Right. Um, You've got the expense of replacing all the vans, but then on the flip side of that, you get the tax break on it yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, and I think it would just be fun. Yeah. It'd be cool. Okay, so that's style two of the businesses that you're looking at. What's style three? Yes. So style three would be like business that is up and running, you know, doing, I'm going to say two and a half to three, probably two and a half to I guess I would look at like two and a half to five, mm-hmm. two and a half to six even in sales mm-hmm. million. Um, that's already rebranded, already has nice new vehicles. It's all outfitted. They're on service Titan, but there's room to grow in the market. Yeah. Um, so they're like right on the yet. Oh, there's room to grow in the market. That's kind of the. There's room to grow in the yeah. market. Yeah. Or so I would look at I would look at that. But what I'm finding is there's a lot of businesses out there that have rebranded that have service Titan, that have six trucks, that have six guys, the owner's still the GM, mm. and they're only doing like two million in revenue. And so, and then their EBITDA is only like, or their cash flow is only like 300,000, right? Sure. So in that instance, like that business has all the pieces to be a really good business, yeah. but they're just undercharging. Like sure. they're, 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 they're either underperforming, like not billing out enough hours, mm-hmm. which is a matter of marketing, mm-hmm. or they're billing out enough hours, but they're undercharging for those hours, mm-hmm. and so their profit margins are small. Mm-hmm. So in that instance, it's like, okay, so this business, if I could go in there and determine if it's marketing that's holding mm-hmm. them back, then cool, is there room to market in the space? Like, sure. can I produce a lot more call volume relatively quickly? Right. Let's go 
do a marketing analysis. Right. I would have a marketing company do that. Say, okay, go do a marketing analysis. Tell me all the big competitors. Tell me what the cost per lead is. Mm. Tell me, mm, cool. you know, wow. who's doing what on what platform, like, and in what areas, right? Mm. They can tell you all that information. Hmm. So I would do that and I would go, okay, if I can increase marketing, then this is a good buy for me because I could go in. Sure. I could increase marketing. We could, you know, probably double the amount of hours sold mm -hmm. and double the revenue and double the profits. Mm -hmm. Like that's a good buy, right? Mm -hmm. Or if it's on the other end of like, they're just underpriced still, well then that's even easier. Yeah. I just, like if they're already getting enough leads in from their marketing, mm -hmm. I'm still gonna do the marketing analysis to see if we can go even further. Right, of course. But you could literally just go in and just raise prices. Right. It's just bam. Mm -hmm. And produce like three to 400,000 extra bottom line revenue in the business, mm -hmm. like day one, mm -hmm. right? So that one's really attractive because right. it's like, I just gotta go pull a couple levers. Yeah, Like you could just go there and get it up and running really quick. Mm -hmm. And it would start producing cash really fast, right? right? Sure. The The problem with the, the other one where you buy it and you gotta go in and get do all this stuff, all that stuff takes stuff. time, right? Yeah. You got to start marketing. That takes time. Mm -hmm. So it's like a six-month runway before, you know, six-month runway kind of worst-case scenario before you are, you know, revenue-producing and you're cash-flowing again. Gotcha. Worst-case scenario. We're in the third business scenario. <coughs> What's sort of the runway to profitability? I mean, they're probably already it's profitable. It's already profitable. Right. And now you're just going to increase You're just going to go in and be more profitable. Yeah. Right? The downside to those businesses are... You're going to pay a lot more money for it. Sure. So it's going to take cash up front, mm. but it's less cash. The down payment on a business like that is less cash than than the cost of going in and turning a business around. Right. Um, and then the other, like, the other problem with that, like, the other downside is the vehicles are already bought and paid for. Yeah, you don't for. have anything to depreciate. Yeah. If you can structure the sale to where you're buying the the vehicles, like mm. you're paying for the equipment of the vehicles, then you can depreciate them. Gotcha. But that means that the person that's selling it to you then has to pay capital gains tax on them. I believe this is how it works. And so mm. what ends up happening is they don't want to, like when they make the sale, they want to structure it so that you're buying the business, not the assets. Right. Because sure. they want to pay as little taxes on the income that they got, mm -hmm. right? Um. So that's downfall. And then the third downfall of that is that now you have this big business debt as well. So there's a little more risk in that because... Because you had to put a bigger down payment on it. You, not a bigger down payment, but you had to take out a bigger loan for the business. Right. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, so like that business, you know, you might be able to buy for anywhere from, you know, one to three million. Mm. And so you're going to go get an SBA loan. You're mm -hmm. going to put 10% down. And then all of that money is going to be, you know, a debt that the business carries for the next... Right. 10 years that you're gonna on a 10 year term. Off. So then that's gonna come out of your profits, right? Right, yeah. yeah. You, I mean, you would work that into the expense of your business right. and ultimately charge your customer for that. Mm -hmm. I would, that's what I would do, mm -hmm. or at least a portion of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but still, it's not like we're, when you build the business from day one, then you don't have this huge loan that you're also paying off at the same time. Right. Other than just like whatever loans you get on your vehicles and stuff like that. Right. Which are a lot smaller than a, big million dollar loan. Right. Turnaround business, like you can go in there and you're likely not paying very much for it in the first place. Mm -hmm. You're 
total yearly payments on it likely aren't very much. Mm. And then the only real debt you're carrying is your vehicles, which you can always go sell, right? Mm. So it's relatively low risk. Mm-hmm. Um, the other business is higher risk in my mind be just because you have the large amount of debt that you have. Yeah, yeah, I would agree too. I, I think that, well, let me ask you, which which one are you sort of pushing for out of the three? I mean, obviously the, the first one you're not gonna do. First one, I'm, I'm not doing a startup. No, I'm not doing a startup. There's so then no it's way. second or the third. Yep. And my guess, you seem to be leaning more towards the second. Because- um, Man, I don't know. I like them both. Sure. Like there's there's some businesses in that second level that you could really just go in and pull some quick levers. Yeah. Like there's there's kind of like a business that is on that second level, but more towards the first level, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it just depends on like when you get in and you actually see the numbers, right? Yeah, that's true, because once you get past curb appeal mm-hmm. to actually see what's going on. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's going to be interesting regardless to see like what all these things are doing. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So then yeah. what's like, um, what's like it's, your... It's been cool to think about. It's yeah. given me a little different perspective on, you know, growing and scaling and costs and, and mm. how to go about things. Has it made you think about your own plumbing business differently? Um, no, not really. Mm-hmm. I mean... Like if I always say if I could do it all over again, I would have moved markets. Right. Like I would have picked a better market to begin with. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I would have just gone 300 miles south down to Anchorage, and I would have grown there. I could have been twice as big as I am now, and have twice as much money as I do now. Right. Basically. Right. Mm-hmm. But we've basically hit you know like market cap in my area, mm-hmm. and we don't have the option of going to another market because the nearest market 300 miles away. Is, there, there's some towns that are what, Nina's sixty miles still away, still too far away for what they offer. Oh yeah, like the market there is so small. What like yeah. five hundred people live there? Yeah, Delta, you could go to Delta, but still, like, and the people that live there, they're a different kind of people. Yeah, they're not a kind of people that wants to pay top dollar for top no. quality service. Right? They're much more like I built my own boiler. Yeah, they are. <laughs> they are, and they're like, oh, you just get here whenever you get here. Yeah, I'm home anyways because yeah. I don't have a job, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, I did some work in Delta. So Delta, what Delta is like a hundred miles away from Fairbanks, mm-hmm, something like that. And it's probably how many people live in Delta? Uh, it's got like one big road, so it's not teeny tiny, but it's not big. No, it's got a handful of restaurants. It's got a little airport there. Maybe five thousand people. Yeah, maybe ten thousand. I have no idea. How many homes do you think? I don't know. Anyway, I did work there. Um, I had this lady that was from Fairbanks that owned some homes there. She said, hey, do you want to come down to Delta? And I was like, no way. <laughs> it's like an hour and a half drive. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm not driving an hour and a half just to go work on your stuff. She was like, what if I can get enough people together to make it worth your while? And I was like, okay, if you can get enough people together. And I gave her a minimum. And she goes, okay. And she put out this like community Facebook post. And she got like... I don't know, 20 people to sign up wow. to get at least their boiler tuned and cleaned. Were you J-Rods at that point or were you I was prospector? J- I was J-Rods at that point. Okay. So I went down there and these people from Delta, you know, everything's scheduled. They're, they got text message reminders. They got, I called them before I went to their house and nobody would ever show up to their house. Really? Dude, like... Like one out of four people would be home when I showed up. 
It was the most frustrating thing in the world. And I'd call them and they'd be like, oh, yeah, I had to run to the grocery store. I'll be back in like 45 minutes. Just hang out. And I'm like, look, lady, I planned this to a T. Yeah. I don't want to hang out at your house for 45 minutes yeah. doing nothing. I yeah. want to go make some money. Mm -hmm. Frustrating. Mm -hmm. But those are the kind of people that are down there. They're just living on a whole different, it's a, yeah, it's a different mean, world, it's different home study. It's a home study mm -hmm. environment. Where you're pretty much just living off whatever you bring in on your land. Yeah. Neighbor helps out neighbor. Yep. Like I said, there's you built no, your own boiler. You there's know. no rush for anything. No. Just different a whole different world, right? So that wouldn't be... Wouldn't be a good market. Yeah. So the next market's 350... Like the next viable market is 350 miles away. And at that point, it's like a startup, essentially. It would be. Totally. Yep. Yeah. Drive for an entire day to get there I mean, I guess you could hop on an hour plane ride. Yeah, but then you'd have to have something to work out of when you got there. Yeah. And like what technician's going to be like, you're going to Anchorage today. Like, oh, I got to take a plane to Anchorage to work all day to get on a plane to come home. Yeah. Like, dude, no, no, no. Even with I like, wouldn't do in, that. Even with like infinity air miles that you have. Yeah, I wouldn't do that. Yeah. It'd like, just be another startup. And it's probably a pretty good market. And I have thought about, there's actually a business for sale there in mm, Anchorage that I was looking at. Um, and I have thought about going there and starting something there but then i look at the cost of it there sure and i'm like well if it's 350 miles away what's the difference if it's 2,000 miles away or 3,000 miles yeah. away i might as well go get in like a much better market yes right? one where it's cheaper just even to operate where you don't deal with winter i mean anchorage isn't fairbanks as far as winter but it's definitely yeah arctic-ish climates you still want to like insulate your van yep you're like, still going to deal with like actually you're going to deal with like more gnarly snow more gnarly roads and higher risk of just driving around than in yeah. Fairbanks. I'm pretty sure that I don't like, I don't know of anywhere else in the lower 48 where you would need to insulate your vehicles. Mm -hmm. But in Fairbanks, Alaska, it's like 60 below and the back of that vehicle is 60 below yeah. and it just doesn't, it doesn't work. Like all yep. your stuff freezes, your flux freezes, your mm -hmm. cans of stuff freeze. Everything's frozen. Mm -hmm. So we got to insulate them. We pull the floor out, put one inch of foam. We spray foam all the walls and ceiling. Then we put our shelves in, and mm -hmm. then we put a heater in back there. Yep. If I didn't have to do that, and then just like the maintenance on the heater is just another annoying thing, right? <laughs> yeah, because if the heater goes out, then that's like your van just went down. Maintenance on the heater, and then batteries are always dying. Mm -hmm. And then... Yeah, sure. Batteries die when it's cold. New tires are always... Nobody ever want. Nobody thinks of going and getting their new tires like at the beginning of summer. They no, always no. Go. It's like it's like the boiler tune thing. Like we we're talking about whenever we talked about that. Where yeah, I remember because I well, what happens in in Alaska is you get the dividend. So everybody gets this lump of money every year. Yep. And then they say, let's go buy tires with it. Yep. And the tire places are like, yep. And then you get there at because I've done this. Yep. Is you get there at six a.m. an hour yep. before they open, and there's already four people in line. Yep. And then by the time they open, there's like. 20, 30 people in line like, I want my tires changed. Yep. And uh, super annoying. Everybody does that all yeah. year. Yeah. And so do my guys that work for me. <laughs> <laughs> we actually started putting it on that. We started scheduling tire changes for yeah, that reason. Smart. Because it's like, you can, like, it'll take them all day if they go at that time of year. Yep. Or we can just go at the beginning of the summer and it'll only take them an hour. Yeah. Because so, it's, it's available. Because nobody's there. Mm -hmm. Right. So we started scheduling them every two years. Go at this time and get your tires changed. Yeah. And then when you're there, make sure you have chains in your truck. Like mm -hmm. buy chains while you're there. Because mm -hmm. we got to have chains because we got nasty driveways. You got to yeah. chain up your tires to get up and on the driveway sometimes. Mm. Yeah. 
pain in the butt. So what's sort of like your, do you have a grand vision with buying businesses? Do you want to buy one plumbing business, 20 plumbing businesses? Um, I want to continue to get better at running businesses, mm. plumbing businesses specifically, because I think it's a cool, like it's a cool market and I've already got one running so well and we've trained other people to do it well all over the United States. So I want to prove my concept again, mm-hmm. right? Say, you know, I've done it here. I've done it with all these people and I've done it again with this business. Right. Um, and then, I don't know. I just want to see what it's like. Like sure. I've never bought one. I've never mm-hmm. bought one and gone and had to turn it around. So mm-hmm. I want that experience and that, and that learning mm. to be able to go, okay, this is how we should do this again in the future. Yeah, sure. Right? And you can just get better. And then that you can begin to systematize. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of the goal. Like no matter which business I buy, I would go in and say, mm-hmm. okay, a business that looks like this, like here's what I did to get it going again. Yeah. These are the steps I took. These are all the, this is the checklist. This is the order mm-hmm. we need to do them sure. in. And these are the things we oh. need to think about. That's actually super cool because it's like, there's very few times in life when you get to take like broad systems Mm-hmm. and implement them into a new environment and mm-hmm. watch them work and then mm-hmm. go, oh, let me try that again. And then buy another business, take mm-hmm. that system that you just tried out, the mm-hmm. theory, refine it, and then introduce it into another environment and mm-hmm. see how it performs. Yeah. And then probably after like the second or third time, you could go, hey, I just bought this business. Here's the system to turn it around. Go turn it around. Yeah. Right. And then at that point, like, Hit that guy's successful. Let's say I send you to go turn it around. Mm-hmm. If you're successful, now all of a sudden it's like, okay, let's go buy three more. Let's go get two more guys. Yeah, two more here's, operators. Here's, here's the, the system, system, guys. You train them on how to use the system. Mm-hmm. And now we're buying, you know, multiple businesses per year. Right. And really growing our income at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And now I agree. It sounds fun. Mm-hmm. It sounds super fun. Mm-hmm. I think it sounds rad. Dude, me too. <laughs> Dude, no way. <laughs> you want to keep talking about that? <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, I think it's cool. I think it's fun. Mm-hmm. Super fun. So we have two businesses, right? And they're doing similar amounts of revenue, but with different amounts of material. And I mean, we sort of talked about this a little bit because um, I'm just trying to come back to our original question or thesis mm-hmm. for this whole conversation. Which was um, really like business A, it's almost sort of like what we first brought up. Business A is that 30 person, $6 million business. And then, oh, yeah, that's so crazy. Then me. business B is, you know, your business with 12 people and $6 million. Yeah. And so we just want to like maybe walk, walk us through sort of the differences between the two and maybe even like how it feel, how it might feel. Like, you know how it feels at your business and how it might feel at this other business. Because I think in my mind, that's kind of where people can resonate with where it's like, hey, if you feel this way in your business, like if it feels chaotic and if it feels (laughs) like you're broke, there is a solution to the chaos and to the brokenness. Because you don't seem like in your business that you feel like it's chaotic and like you're broke and all these things. Like, it seems like quite the opposite. Uh, Yeah, it is quite the opposite. It's very, like every day is pretty much the same. Mm. It's very boring. (laughs) <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, you lost me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is. It's like, like um, I know, like Cody Sanchez talks about buying boring businesses, yeah. right? Because boring businesses last a long time and they produce a lot of cash and they don't yeah. have much headache. Yeah. And 
I think that should be like your goal is your business is just boring, right? Yeah. Almost. Mm-hmm. Um, not that it looks boring or. Sure. Yeah. 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 Of yeah, course. yeah. But there's like the idea, like we had one of our students ask, Hey, if I fly up to Alaska, can I like come to your shop mm-hmm. and hang out for a day? And I was like, yeah, yeah, sure, <laughs> you can. Better have something else planned while you're up there. Yeah, but you're going to be incredibly bored and incredibly underwhelmed, right? Like you hear $6 million shop pulling down 23% profits, you know, 10 guys, 10 trucks, general manager, two CSRs. You would drive to my shop and you would be like completely underwhelmed, mm-hmm. right? Because it's just, it's a 600 square foot office with that has a wall divided that we built to divide the general manager, give him his own space. And there's a spot for two CSRs to sit, but nobody sits there Mm -hmm. because the CSRs work from home and there's a bathroom. And then behind that, there's a 1200 square foot shop, which is tiny. It's got one garage door, just enough for one vehicle to pull in. And we have some like drain cleaning equipment and some air conditioning equipment and some things like that, mm-hmm. but we really don't have much in the way of like materials or parts mm-hmm. or any of that stuff. And then above the office is the mezzanine, mm-hmm. and up there we just have some tables and a whiteboard <laughs> and a little kitchenette and a bathroom and like a technician training board that we built. And there's going to be nobody there except for my general manager. That's He's going to be like, hey, uh, hey, what's up? Oh, you want the tour? And they'll give you the tour in like <laughs> two minutes, right? They'll be like, well, you guess you could sit behind me as I send emails. Yeah. <laughs> answer phone calls. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Be super underwhelming. Mm-hmm. Extremely underwhelming. Mm-hmm. Even if you went with one of the guys, it'd be pretty underwhelming. Especially if you're already doing plumbing because you'd be like, oh, this is just what I do. Yeah. Oh, these guys, they're just like, what well, I think the biggest takeaway would be like, oh, they just have a system and an organized way of doing things. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And that and the and the system and the organization produces profits. Right. At the end of the day. Right. And it doesn't have to be big and flashy to do that. No. Mm-mm. Our vans are big and flashy. Our logo's big and flashy. Sure, of course. Um I mean the office it's a nice space, but it's mm-hmm. not like yeah, you don't have banners and, and you don't have like there's not like a bunch of music and craziness going on. Nope. And he's not doing push-ups everywhere. Nope. We're not up there just like <laughs> pumping everybody up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, you'd come to our Monday meetings and everybody would be sitting there. We'd bring them breakfast and Eddie would go over like, hey, so-and-so, you did good with this last week. Everybody give him a hand and everybody mm-hmm. like, ah, ah. <laughs> <laughs> I got to clap yeah. again. <laughs> it's Monday morning. Yeah, I don't like that. And then... Uh, and then he'd go over something that we need to work on for this week. And then we go over like jobs that are on pause or on hold or not completed or we're waiting on a part for some reason to make sure they don't get dropped. And then mm-hmm. it'd be like, all right, everybody, like, what's our main goals here? Mm-hmm. Here's the three things we care about. Mm-hmm. And then out the door. Yeah. And then everybody leaves. Mm-hmm. And even here on Thursday, like we do Thursday morning meetings. It's probably the only other time that people are at the shop is Thursday morning. And it's just, training like hey everybody's just sitting there at a table mm-hmm. and here's how we communicate to the customer and here's why and here's why we operate our business this way and mm. it's, it'd be pretty underwhelming hmm. yeah i bet you'd be insightful for some like especially if you're coming from like the opposite of that i think it would be insightful yeah like if you came from like talking about this this other business that i was looking at that was doing very similar revenue numbers to me mm-hmm. but doing half the 
um, profit margins with more than twice the amount of guys, um, that like that business is probably chaotic. Like you probably yeah, show up to work and there's no organized system and way of doing things. There's no set scheduling system. There's no mm-hmm. show up here and do this and this is how we do this and this is how you organize your van and here's how we do stuff. There's probably not very good software. Mm-hmm. It's probably not a very good price book. It's probably a little more chaotic, mm-hmm. right? They're probably, my guess is that company is undercharging and it's just chaotic because they're pushing their guys to job after job after right. job after job. Where if they came to my company, they'd be like, you'd be like, yeah. like slow like down. down. Yeah. Um, where they'd come in, they'd do their Monday morning meeting and mm-hmm. then they'd make sure their van was in order and they would dispatch the first job and mm-hmm. they would take their time to serve the customer and make sure the customer was taken mm-hmm. care of. And then they would go on to their next job. Mm-hmm. I think they'd be pretty underwhelmed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To say the least, hmm. it. I think it would be insightful, but yeah. underwhelming. Yeah, yeah. If anybody wants to come to Alaska and go into my business, we've actually had two guys mm-hmm. go up there and stop in the shop and be like, "Hey, we saw you on social media, and we wanted to stop in. Mm-hmm. Wanted to talk to Jared, but I wasn't there. Yeah, uh, um, they didn't see enough of your content. Clearly. Yeah, <laughs> and Eddie was like, "Hey, he he called me that day. He's like, dude, I just had two guys stop in and." They wanted to say hi to you, and I just gave them the tour of the shop, and I was like, what'd they think? And they were like, <laughs> he said, uh, I don't really know. I think we talked for like two hours, but I think they were fairly <laughs> like underwhelmed. Yeah, they Like expected. they expected more mm-hmm. out of a you know $6 million producing shop. You just expect more. Yeah, and I think that goes to like the thing that you always like to bring up, which is like keeping it simple. Yeah. And like really... And we've talked about this too, but it's so easy to introduce complexity into your business. It's super easy. It's like natural. It is Mm -hmm. natural to start to jazz things up Mm -hmm. um, and start to split. Like I find it like I'm always have to fight on splitting my focus. Yep. And like when you, like when you go from, let's see, the comparison might be similar, but when you go from like a physical labor job, and so the comparison I want to draw is like draw is like working in the truck to working in the office. Mm -hmm then suddenly you have all these things in front of you and you're like, okay, I have to determine what my true priorities are. Mm -hmm. And as I'm doing that, I have to make sure not to create new things that don't really need to be done now. So I have to figure out how to focus on the main thing and then deal with that problem first until it's buttoned up before I move on to the other things. Yeah. And like, that's my experience. Like day to day, it's like, okay, project, right? Like, okay, I got to... solve this problem, but then I'm like, oh, but wait, there's this other thing. I should probably solve this first. And then I step back, I'm like, wait a second, I haven't done anything. I've just like looked at two different problems and started to work at both of them and then not accomplished anything. And so then I'm like, okay, I got to reset. Like, what do we actually do? What's actually the purpose here? Mm -hmm. And it's so easy to introduce complexity in your business Mm -hmm. and just get off in la-la land. Mm -hmm. And then three days later, you're like, I don't think I did anything for the last three days, or at least nothing immediately helpful. Yeah, what ends up happening is like, when you when you grow your business, like number one, you should try to keep it as simple as possible from the get-go. Because yeah. as you scale, it's just going to get more complex. Um, but even when you do that, like what ends up happening is you start making money and you stop having to trade your, your time for money. Mm-hmm. So you'll start making money and you'll start being able to, you know, go out to lunch with your wife in the <laughs> middle of the day. Yeah. So like I remember... We got to like five or six guys and me and Christelle, we started just going to lunch in the middle of the day 
Um, we would do like planning meetings and stuff, but mm-hmm. we'd take like two hour lunches. We'd just be sitting there. It'd be sunny, sitting outside, eating mm-hmm. food, drinking a good coffee. And you, you know, in the back of your head, you've got guys out and they're working right. and you start to feel guilty, right? Because you know, you're, <laughs> you're making money and, and you start to feel bad that it's so easy to make money. And so, right. Because you're sitting there drinking your latte or whatever, yeah. your Americano. And yeah, and so naturally you're your like... Your hands are clean. and mm-hmm, Hands are clean and soft. There's no poop on your boots. There's no poop on your boots. Or on your lapel. Yeah. <laughs> and so like the natural reaction is to like go try to find something to do. Yeah, roll up your sleeves. Right? So you either like go get involved in somebody else's stuff, <laughs> which just messes them up. Yeah. Or you try to like make things more complex to give yourself something to do. Right. It's a weird thing that happens, but right. you just have to be okay with like, you can't like making money without doing the work for it without, cause you put in the work without the trading your labor. time for it mm. um, is okay. And I would even say like trading your time in the currency of like physical man hours. Yeah. Because you still leverage your time. Like your time is like capped right now. Yeah. And so you're still leveraging it, but it's not at like the cost of your muscles and your body. Yeah. Like to do things. My time is capped right now, but like it like it doesn't have to be that way. Right. My time I could spend my time doing whatever the heck I want. Yeah, that's true. Um but it's just because I've chosen to cap my time. It's the reason my time is capped. Right. Just because sure. I want to keep going, right? Yes. But like with like anybody who gets a five or six million dollar plumbing shop going, they're gonna make plenty of money to not have to work. Like right. they don't I don't need to work. Mm. Um, and so, yeah. So then the danger there is don't create, like don't create all this work for you. That's just going to yeah. mess your business up and you're going to yeah. lose that security for mm-hmm. your guys. Like you have to think about it, not just for yourself, but for your, for your whole team. Yeah. Set up simple systems that they can follow that you don't have to be involved in and then get out of the way and let them do their job. Yes. It just, yeah. Keep it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, on the note of like keeping it simple, me and you are both reading the book about the Ritz Carlton mm-hmm. customer service experience. Mm-hmm. And they have their, what do they call their card that every employee has? Oh, I think it's like their, uh, um, it's right there. It's not the gold standards, but it's their, oh, dude, it's like right there. It's three things. Yeah. Well, but they call it a certain thing their credo card. Credo card. Yep. Yep. Their credo card started as a document. Yes. And what they did is they went and started up a hotel and they hired like 60 people mm-hmm. and they're trying to walk them through like what the Ritz-Carlton is all about. Like yeah. how do we actually provide yeah. this level of service, right? Because mm-hmm. Ritz-Carlton is known for its customer service. Actually makes me want to stay at a Ritz-Carlton. I do too. They greet you by name when you walk in the door yeah, and they greet you by name when you leave. I mean, they're really trying to, I mean, their whole, and I mean, guys, like this is a really cool book to read if you're in the service industry. Yeah. Um, and a lot of like the Ritz Carlton is thinking about is predicting the needs of the guests. Yeah. And so, because again, if you show up at a hotel and that person who's greeting you, like they remember your name, they notice mm-hmm. little things about you that they can then provide you service later. You walk away being like, holy moly, like yeah. these dudes, they remembered all my kids' names. Yep. They overheard a conversation I was having with my wife that I wasn't feeling so good. So they sent up a bottle of seltzer water and hot tea and mm-hmm. this and that. Or my kid was really excited to look at this thing. And so then they set this thing up and you're like, holy moly. Yep. Um, and so like there's so many transfers from that book to I would say just a plumbing service-based industry. Oh yeah. Because you're serving a customer. Yep. And again, if you want to be providing, let's call it luxury service. Yep. 
then you need to be thinking like the Ritz-Carlton when you're doing it. Yep. And your technicians need to have these in these values ingrained in them. They're like, I'm going to take care of this person so well that I'm going to like predict their needs and their wants, and I'm going to be there. Yep. And that is that is when you have when you're you know when you're charging what you need to be charging. And that customer might like be apprehensive at first, but then when you offer this above service, they're like, ah, it's cool, man. Yeah. Like you did it. Worth it. Like this was great. Like at yeah. the Ritz Carlton, you're paying more money, but what you're getting out of it, you're like, I'm coming. I'm only going to these places. Yeah. Like if I'm vacationing, I'm looking where a Ritz Carlton is and I'm going there. Yep. So back to the Credo card. I 100% agree with you, by the way. Back to the Credo card. It started out as a multi-page document. I don't yeah. remember how many pages. And what they found is it was like it was, 20 different things on there. Was it? It was mm-hmm. super hard to educate the people that they just hired on it quick enough to get them to buy into the company culture. Mm. And so they wanted them to be able to buy into the company culture within mm. the next couple hours, right? Yeah. And so they created the Credo card and it's three things. Mm-hmm. And it's just a really good like representation of keeping it simple, yeah, right? Sure. They had a 20-page document and they switched it to a card with three things written on mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And so in your business, like you want tend to make things complicated and you can always go back and simplify it. Yeah, and sure. And we've, we've yep. seen this in my business where like we came up with these, all these things that we wanted the technicians to do. Like, mm-hmm. hey, if they would just ask for reviews, then we're going to get more, way more reviews hey, if they would just knock on the door this way or if they would mm-hmm. just say this when they you know, interacted with the person and if they would just do this thing and this thing and this thing and this thing, what we ended up doing is we simplified all of that into just three things, mm-hmm. right? So now all we have to c- preach and communicate are mm-hmm. these three things. Mm-hmm. And now the technician doesn't have to think about 10 million different things. Right. He's only got to think about three things, right? right? And there, you can go a little higher level too. So it's not like... Like yeah, ours, sure. ours are provide five star customer service, um, take care of the customer no matter what, charge accordingly. Mm-hmm. Those are our three things. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. it. And so, under all of those, it's like, okay, guys, right. we need to charge accordingly for our service. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. And okay. why would we do so? And why do we need to do that? Right. And then, okay, we need to provide five star quality service. Okay. What does that look like? Right. Right. We need to take care of the customer. What does that look like, mm-hmm. right? And then you can just consistently train on those three things mm-hmm. rather than, hey, we want you to ask for five-star reviews right. or, hey, we want you to blah, 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 right? Yeah. Why do we need to provide five-star service? So we can get five-star reviews, right. right? Right. Why are five-star reviews important? Do you think we should ask for them? Mm-hmm. Those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Makes it way easier. Yeah, because then when you keep it more simple like that, and so long as you're talking about it to your technicians regularly uh-huh. then you can lead them well they can feel empowered to go and accomplish those goals how they see fit yep. as each situation dictates yeah they're all different people yeah and they're all going to like approach a customer in a certain way but mm-hmm. if you give them this big litany of things to do chances are they're going to follow the checklist because they want to please you the owner yep but they might displease the customer because that checklist is not appropriate for that customer right and so like or it's not appropriate for that technician. Yeah. Right? He, yeah. He might not be like he might be really uncomfortable doing it in the way that you want him to do it. Right. And he might have a way that's way more comfortable or him that accomplishes the same goal. And it's like, why wouldn't you want that for your employees? Yes. Yeah, why totally. Not? Yeah. I mean, to empower your employees 
what I mean, you trust them. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's something that's really important is that you want to go to your employees and be like, hey, man, I trust you to make the right decisions mm-hmm. that uphold the company values. Yep. Independent of me having to like ride you about it. Yep. Like, I, you know, I've heard stories where there's like, you know, a technician will complete a job and the CSR will go to dispatch to the next job. And then the CSR will ask, like, hey, did you go through the checklist? Technician's like, I missed like the fourth one. It's like, hey, go back and get the thing. Mm-hmm. But there isn't an opportunity for that technician to be like, listen, I didn't do that because the dude was this, this, and the other thing. Mm-hmm. So like there's a reason why I didn't do that. And I also think it's kind of a dumb thing anyway. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you can get so tied into these systems that you put in place that are sort of could be big and unnecessary. Yep. And the technicians don't feel comfortable to like, I don't know, there isn't space for them to voice their discomfort and they're just going to be, Yeah. they don't want to be there for that. Yeah. So then trusting you- them. To make good choices is really important. Yeah. If anybody's worked at a Nexstar company, then mm. they'll know it. <laughs> they'll know exactly <laughs> what we're talking about. Because it's like checklist, 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 mm-hmm. checklist, form, 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 checklist, checklist, checklist. Yeah. And I think there's there's certain things where checklists are, are really important. Like I'm thinking like in the aviation industry mm-hmm. where you want your pilot to go through his checklist to make sure that everything is good. Yeah. So that that thing operates safely but see that's the thing like that pilot for him to do his job effectively yes he needs to go through that checklist and there could be carryovers like you probably want your technician to go through a checklist as they're finishing up that boiler tune Mm -hmm. so that everything is buttoned up in a way that is safe yep but they don't necessarily then have to pop out the customer interaction checklist yeah and go through like (laughs) okay i call them ma'am or sir check um i'm gonna shake their hand no matter what check i'm gonna like because Sometimes yep. those things don't match that current that customer for whatever reason. Yeah. And so by empowering guys with the correct value sets, and I mean what the Ritz Carlton does really well is they just repeatedly drill those things. Dude, and it's every pretty... everybody is bought in at all levels, yeah. like leadership especially, but mm-hmm. then it trickles down to everybody so that it just your values embody your technicians. Yep. And then they really are honestly thinking, like, how can I serve this customer? Like you know what, I the CSR communicated to me that this customer seemed flustered on the phone. You know, I'm a little ahead of schedule. I'm going to stop by and I'm going to call her up and be like, what kind of burrito do you want? Yeah. I'm stopping by. I'm grabbing lunch. You want a burrito, some coffee? like Flowers. Flowers, like I'd whatever. Grab, if it was a woman, I'd grab flowers every time. <laughs> nice. Because because it doesn't matter if she wanted flowers or right. not. The gesture of mm-hmm. just bringing flowers. Hey, I brought you some flowers. Yeah. CSR said you were a little flustered on the phone. I brought you some flowers. Yeah. Hope you have a better day. Yeah, like those things. Like, like then we can start talking about like the lifetime value of the customer. Or suddenly on. you're just like, Whoa. if it's a man, bring him a burrito. <laughs> yeah, bring, him, bring him the biggest burrito you <laughs> don't, can. Don't bring him flowers. Don't bring see, a woman a burrito. But so if you had a checklist <laughs> that said, if the woman, if the customer is flustered, bring flowers. Yeah. And then you would have to have two segues of like, if it's man, bring burrito. If it's woman, bring flowers. <laughs> and you get a technician like, I got to bring the man flowers and a burrito. Like, <laughs> what kind of burrito? I guess this is a weird job. You know? <laughs> oh, yeah. Here, my boss said I got to bring yeah. you a burrito. Yeah. I got a checklist. <laughs> Can you please rate this burrito? <laughs> like, and so Can like, you sign that I delivered the burrito to yeah. you? Yeah. Hold on, I gotta call my CSR. Yeah, I delivered the burrito. <laughs> anyway, do you, what's your problem? Plumbing problem. Like the checklist can get burdensome. Yep. But again, if if the values are instilled into your guys and into your CSRs to yep. really listen to the customers and take care of them, then yeah. those things just happen naturally. Yeah, it's like it's providing them with the high level, like this is what we're all about. Mm. We're about these few things. 
like this is what we're trying to accomplish in this company. This is what sets us apart from everybody else. Mm -hmm. And then here's the freedom to go do those things. Yeah. Like you have the freedom to make these things happen. Cause if you, and when you make these things happen, we're going to be happy. Right. Like yeah, we're going to sure. be, we're going to be stoked. Mm -hmm. We're going to think it's awesome. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people it's, they take away the freedom, whether it's in checklists or whatever. Mm. They don't want to give their guys the freedom because they're worried their guys are going to go out and do stupid stuff. Right. And they are. They're going to do dumb stuff every now and then. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, like most of your people are good people. And if you can bring them on and get them bought into the vision and the purpose of the company, mm -hmm. and then you can give them the freedom to go do that, typically they're going to go out and do a really good job. Right. Like they're going to go do their best. Most people. Mm -hmm. I tend to come from a position that most people are good people and they want to do a good job. Right. Yeah. I think a lot of plumbers, they get guys in and they're like, all these people are just terrible people. They're just yeah. crap. Nobody cares. Yeah. Um, and I think if they would just, number one, sell the vision, right? Sell the dream mm -hmm. and then give them the freedom, they would find that their employees would produce a lot better. Yeah. And I think if you're, like if you catch your thoughts thinking about, that way about the current labor force, mm -hmm. those thoughts will manifest into actions and words because that's what happens as a human being. Mm -hmm. You think things and those turn into words and those words produce action. Mm -hmm. And so when you bring somebody in your company who's a prospect and then you start kind of, oh man, I'm really happy to see that you showed up. Most guys don't show up because they all suck, you know? Like, I'm really happy for you to be here. Hope you did better than the last guy. He really was bad at this. You think you can do better? And you start to like phrase it in this way. It gets to be like... Like you just put out that vibe of like, man, like you just don't seem like a, you don't have a lot of hope or you're friendly. I don't feel like I want to work <laughs> yeah, here. Like this sounds really yeah. lame to me. I know like all the places I ever worked, there was always limitations. Like nobody, it was never clearly stated like, here's what this company is about and you have the freedom to go make that happen. Right. Never. Right. You are encouraged to go make that happen. Yes. And so it was always this, it was always just like, hey, what do you want me to do next? Or like, Hey, I this needs to be done. How do you want me to go about that? Right. It was never like I could never just say, "Hey, this needs to be done. Um, here's the things we need to do." So I'm going to go by this, 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 and this. Mm. We're going to get homeboy working on this, this, and this, and that's going to accomplish this, and mm -hmm. it's going to execute on the goal, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I never had the freedom to do that stuff, and it always made for weird, awkward moments and tons of unproductivity and right. tons of time going back and forth with managers and. Mm tons of stupid paperwork things mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, just like dumb right mm -hmm. i used to have to go like if i needed materials for a job i would have to they wouldn't give me a computer because they didn't i don't know they didn't trust me with a computer or whatever and so we would have to hand write material lists so all the foremen of this company foreman of a job we'd have to hand write material lists we'd have to fax them in in the job trailer to the i don't know what we called him we called him like the mechanical general form. He wasn't a general foreman. He was a something. Project mm -hmm. manager, we'll call him. Mm -hmm. Pro mechanical project manager. It was a general contracting company that mm -hmm. had their own mechanical di division. Mm -hmm. And then he would take those and he would fax them to three different supply houses. And he would get the faxes back with the mm -hmm. parts and the material cost. And he would have to cherry pick what was cheapest on what from what supplier and so then we would get three different orders. Didn't care if stuff was back ordered. 
So like we'd get stuff in like 90 days later that was back ordered. Just because it was cheaper on paper and they're Just like, yeah, it was, we can offer this cheaper. We don't it have it. It was cheaper though. on paper from this supplier, but we had to wait 90 days. So they didn't care. Um, <laughs> it was wild. And it was yeah. wild. And it created so much work on my end mm. versus if they just would have gave me a computer, mm. I would have just like made a spreadsheet and I would have sent it to all three suppliers and I would have said, put your prices on this spreadsheet. I would have copied and pasted it all into one spreadsheet. And then I could have organized it by price and I could have done the same thing, but I could have tracked it all on my right. end. It would have been so much faster, but they didn't want to do that. Right. Right. So it's little things like that. Like mm-hmm. not if you don't have the trust and you don't give the vision to your guys, then you just create more work for everybody. You create holdups for everybody. You create, you create like, there's like a, like an uncertainty in your employee mm-hmm. of, I don't know what to do in this situation, so I'm gonna not gonna do anything. Or yeah, I'm sure. af- I'm uh-huh. afraid to do the wrong thing in this mm-hmm. situation, so I'm gonna like pass this off to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Or I'm gonna avoid doing this thing because I don't quite know what to do, so I'm gonna go do this other thing. Yeah, right? I'm just gonna avoid maybe the problem that yeah. is facing me because the safer choice is to just do this thing I know I'm supposed to be doing. I'm gonna go sweep the floors. Exactly, and you and those are like the unintended consequences that you'll never see. No. Right? Um, but if you hire good people and you give them a vision and you say, go mm-hmm. execute on this vision, usually they're pretty stoked. They're like, okay. And they've got their stuff in front of them and they get to go tackle mm-hmm. it in a way that, you know, goes back to your vision. And I think another part of that's really important is like listening to your frontline coworkers, listening to your technicians, yeah, like having a structure in place where you are communicating with them a lot because they're yeah. the ones who are actually doing the work. They're actually running through your processes. I will say, though, sometimes your employees have some pretty, pretty dumb ideas. Yeah, and so and you got to be like, okay, think about it this way. Yeah. So you have to have... So I think that lends to make structure to those... Mm, we'll call them like meetings, right? Because there are employees who just will talk your ear off for the whole day about something that is completely inconsequential. Yeah, or, I have one of those. Yeah, he's sitting right here. Um, <clears throat> <laughs> Uh, is that what you meant? <laughs> no. No, I know, I know. Um, but I've had like coworkers who like, I'll ask them, hey man, how's it going? And we're into like a 45 minute conversation about like this shelf is in a stupid place and whoever did it 15 years ago was an idiot. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, this is, this is not productive. Yeah. So like, but if you can structure where there's like a time and like run those, like mm, we'll just call them meetings yep. in a way you're like, hey man, like I'm just, what are some constructive criticisms? directed towards the values and how is serving the customer and all these kinds of things. And I think if you make it a pattern that the guys know like, oh, this is when I go and sort of give my two cents. Yep. And I understand that leadership isn't always going to implement two cents, but I also know that sometimes they do. Because mm-hmm. every now and again, like even that guy who is giving you opinions every day, chances are just because of the raw amount, one of those opinions you're going to be like, hey, wait a second, that could work. It there It is true. Like I have gotten feedback from my guys and been like, oh yeah, I didn't think about that. Let's figure out how to switch that up. And like, it really builds trust if like it does. frontline is like, oh man, like especially if you're like a remote owner and you get your business at that point and frontline man or frontline coworkers feel heard by the management and then they see that change implemented and it bears fruit. Yeah. Then they're like, dang, I'm participating in the company. Yeah. So I think you should just take this to another level. And it's something that we're working on in my company we have been in the past really good at like i kind i had an idea of how the business should run mm. and so 
I made the business run that way, right? Mm-hmm. And it was good in the beginning. Um, and then we went through this phase of like collecting data and learning how to improve based on data. And we would go in and we would make the changes and everybody underneath, it was just like, these are the changes mm-hmm. no matter what. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now I'm looking at stuff and I'm going, especially with because we have more, we have multiple companies, there's more people involved. Right. Now I'm looking at stuff and I'm going, okay, I should go down to those I don't want to call them lower level people. Yeah, sure. Because they're not. They're like they're the front line people. They're, yeah, they're the ones out there doing the work, making the money. Dude, they're would you say that they're I mean, I would say that they're just as important as you and anybody else. Cause yeah. without them, you don't have anything. And no. without you, they don't have anything. Yeah. So it's, it's like we're all equal. Yeah. Like yeah. I mean, in, in any company where there's divisions, when there's departments, and in, in the airline world, you see this all the time where the mm-hmm. pilots are like, without us, you wouldn't be anywhere. But then the mechanics are like, without us, you wouldn't be anywhere. And there's like all this infighting where it's like, guys, we all need each other. Yeah. Like there's no way <laughs> these businesses survive. Oh, no. And it's just a because in certain levels of really high trained labor there becomes sort of this like well i'm absolutely important to everything and without me this company won't exist yeah and you're like you're absolutely correct but without a csr to book those calls you have nowhere to go and without all the other technicians we don't produce enough revenue to pay you what you are making right now yeah so so think about that i love that you're awesome yeah keep being awesome but also yeah we all need to be here Doing the stuff we're doing. Yeah. Um, and so when you have that, like once you, re- I think once you recognize like everybody's important, mm-hmm. everybody's input is important. What we're doing now is instead of going in and just making changes, mm-hmm. we're going down to, you know, the people out in the field, the mm-hmm. ones who it's going to affect the most. Right. And we're going, hey guys, here's the information we have. Here's the data we have. Mm-hmm. Here's what it's telling us. Here's what we're thinking. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think? Right. What should we do? What mm-hmm. do you guys want to see done? Mm-hmm. And then getting their feedback mm-hmm. on making those decisions mm-hmm. and then saying, okay, thanks for your input, and then going and making the decision. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. likely when you present, rather than just saying, here's the new decision, and they're like, but why? Mm-hmm. Instead, if you go in- Because I told you so, that's yeah. why. Because I told you so, and I own the freaking company. Yeah, now do what I say, <laughs> yeah. or else. But if you go at it like, Hey, here's the data. Right. Here's what it's telling us. Here's the outcome that we all want, mm-hmm. right? Because that produces a better company, mm-hmm. which produces work for you guys, stability for you guys, more money on your paycheck for you guys. And here's what we're thinking to do about it. It's like you're giving them the right. data to come to the same conclusion that you came to, right. right? And now it's not this thing you're pushing down from the top, it's this thing that you're coming to them and they're agreeing with you right. to implement, right? Right. I think that's a much better way to go about it. And I mean, I completely agree. And what I found in my personal experience uh-huh. is that whenever you do that, you're building equity. Uh-huh. And there are moments in your business when you need to cash that equity by saying, hey guys, yep. we need to change it and it's this way because it is. Yep. And if you have a track record of equity of saying, we make like communal decisions because yep. it is the right thing to do. But there are moments when as a business owner, like, guys, I don't care what you say, this is going to go this way. Yep. But if you have that equity, you, you just cash it because I've made working for the airline. Like I would, I would do that all the time. I get yep. buy-in, make sure everybody was sold because I didn't want to have to push guys to do the ideas. I wanted them yeah. to do it. Yep. But there are moments where I'm like, Hey, I'm just going to try something. 
And I'd be guys having guys being like, okay, think it's going to suck. And I'm like, <laughs> please just try it. And they'd be like, we'll try it. Yeah. And I would cash the equity and it would either succeed or usually it would fail because I didn't see something. Yeah. But they still did it. Yeah. And nobody grumbled. It'd be like if you went and asked my, if you went and asked any of my technicians like how we could sell more work, they would all tell you to lower prices. Every single one of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They'd be like, if, well, if you lower prices, you're going to get, you're going to get more work. And I, I would just present the data and be like, actually, <laughs> and we've had lower prices and we didn't sell more work. Yep. We actually sell more work at higher prices now. Yeah. What do you think about that? <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, oh, okay. Um, yeah. yeah, it's kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah. Like if I would have gone to them every time I needed to raise prices. Oh, yeah. You think I would have got their buy-in? No way. No. They're, the- it's already uncomfortable for them to go bill a customer. Yeah. And I'm like, there was a time where we went from 400 and we, we went up like, we went up like 160 bucks mm-hmm. in overnight, right? Mm-hmm. So per hour. So everything went up 160 yeah. bucks. You went home hour. after work and you're like, huh, let's raise prices. So I went home after work and I was crunching numbers and I was like, dang, man, we're, we're undercharging. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to charge more. Mm-hmm. And next day we were charging more, right? Yeah. If I would have went to all my technicians and be like, hey, man, we got to raise prices $160 an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you guys think? Here's the data. They would have been like, no. Yeah. No, you can't do that. I'm too scared. There's too no scared. way. Mm-hmm. But it's, but they didn't even notice. Yeah. They just noticed like, why is this more expensive today? Yeah, prices went up. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it is. And I mean, that's just part of like doing it and learning and like mm-hmm. learning your company and learning your style and your strengths to yeah. know what decisions you make with buy-in and what decisions that you just make because... Well, you just got to make them and you yeah. just got to pull that trigger. Yeah. And sometimes you'll make the wrong decision and you still gain equity when you make a mistake and you go to your employees and you're like, guys, I messed up. That's on me. Like so, we went the wrong way. But imagine the equity you're making when you get their buy-in and then you come back with the data and be like, guys, we made the wrong decision. Mm. Like mm. you're like, that's way better than you making the decision yeah, sure. and it's wrong. Mm-hmm. It's way better if, both of you made the decision together and it's the wrong mm-hmm. decision, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, in that state, they're going to trust your independent decisions way more next time. Yeah. Um, just because, but either way, like you're taking responsibility for a mistake and you're, I mean, you're really humbling yourself to the people that you're serving, yep. your employees. Uh-huh. And they're going to appreciate that and they're going to trust you to make a better decision next time because you've identified to them publicly where you made a mistake. Like, I don't really see any weaknesses and be like, hey guys, I made a mistake. Yeah, I think some some employers they tend to I th- I don't know if it's like all employers but like in the business world like owners that I've talked to they're very scared to be just real and open and mm-hmm. honest with their employees of like hey, here's the deal. <laughs> like here's mm-hmm. how it is, like for right. real. Like mm-hmm. here's the behind the curtains look mm-hmm. at like how the business operates, why mm-hmm. it operates like all of the things, right? Mm -hmm. And I think if they would do that, their employees would have a much greater understanding of why we do the things that we do. Which is super important. Yeah, Uh, yeah, definitely. (laughs) In my experience, like my highest performing employees I've ever had Mm -hmm. are the ones who care the most about why we do the things that we do. Yeah. And if I could answer that well, one, it knows that I know what I'm talking about and I feel good in my decisions. 
And then they go, cool, man. Thanks for sharing with me. That's uh, really important. Mm -hmm. I will go and achieve your vision because I believe in it. But if you just don't give them the why, Mm -hmm. one, you might not actually understand what you're doing. And two, your employees are going to be like, I don't really care. I don't understand. Why are we doing this? Yeah. Because nothing sucks more than arbitrary work. No, yeah. Arbitrary work, like work with no purpose yeah. is terrible. And sometimes there is purpose, but they just don't know it. Yep. And that just takes you slowing down, taking the time to explain the why. Yep. And then they're like, oh, thanks. I didn't know why we, you know, don't keep stock at the shop or whatever. You <laughs> know, Jared think, doesn't like it. Because Jared doesn't like it. Because <laughs> Jared said so. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> I threw away, I've thrown away so much stuff. Yeah. It's, it's funny. funny. Yeah. Just get tyrannical with it. Dude, I do. And I ha- that's like one of the things that I had to get tyrannical with mm-hmm. because stuff would show up at the shop and mm-hmm. it would sit there for months on end. And I was like, you know what? If we keep doing this, we're going to have mountains of stuff at the shop. Yeah. And I'm going to have to get a bigger shop mm-hmm. and then somebody just to organize all the stuff just because I let stuff come into the shop. Did you get buy-in with your guys when you were... No. <laughs> I was one of those moments where I was like, I don't care. They came in and they'd be like, hey, where's the... you know? 200 two inch 45s i bought and i'd be like they're in the dumpster (laughs) (laughs) why did you buy those (laughs) well well because they're like two days out from the supplier and we have to order them and if we need them now we got them and i'm like no if they're two days out wait two days just tell the customer you got to wait two days Mm -hmm. nobody else is stocking these like how (laughs) often are you going to use those like once a year well that's why i want them here yeah exactly Mm -hmm. but that's why you got to be tyrannical yeah yeah you know, hopefully you have enough equity that you can float the, that's probably the tyrannical the, move. That's probably one of the only things I've ever been tyrannical about mm-hmm. is don't bring parts to, to the shop, mm-hmm. <laughs> return them. Mm-hmm. Don't want to be a parts shop mm-hmm. where we go do service work. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. We're in the service business, not yeah. the part stocking business. Yes. And then we have to take care of our customers right. and we have to build them accordingly. Mm-hmm. End of story. Mm-hmm. Those are my only tyrannical things. Mm-hmm. That's it. Well, it's good to know that you know where you're tyrannical and then you know where you're not. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> I got you. You're welcome. Uh, yeah. Okay. Cool, well, we didn't really talk about what it feels. Well, we started talking about what it feels like if you're in a business that's 30 people, not. It's GetAck. You don't have systems. Yeah. You don't have a way of doing things. And so it just, it feels like you don't have a way of doing things. Yeah, it probably right? feels really busy. Yep. Uh, probably uncertain, probably I would say. uncertain, busy. You don't know if you're making money. You don't know 100% if everybody's happy. You don't know if your customers are happy. You don't even know half the time if the work is getting done. Yeah, sure. There's if you're the so owner, much going on. Yeah. If you're the owner or the manager, you're likely like feel like a chicken with your head cut off because mm-hmm. you're constantly having to go over here and go over mm-hmm. there and make sure this guy's got that stuff. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it mm-hmm. really should be more of a systemized fashion of doing things. Yeah. You just need to calm down, slow down, and come up with an actual process mm-hmm. for the way that your business runs. Hmm. And it'll be much less chaotic. Yeah. You won't feel like a chicken with your head cut off. Mm-hmm. You'll actually, like, once you're bringing in enough revenue, like you have enough guys bringing enough revenue, then you can just chill out. Right. Right. That's what it should feel like. Mm-hmm. You should be getting bored. Yeah. Should be a boring business. Yeah. Like in essence, really all you do is you take phone calls, you book the job, you send a guy out to the house, the guy goes and does the work, builds the customer, and then you repeat, mm-hmm. right? It's pretty boring. Mm-hmm. 
But for some reason, we make that really, really hard. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be. Hmm. Yeah. Cool, man. Thanks, Jared. See you, Holmes. See you.